All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Wally and Mathot Show. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Wallace. He's Mark Mathot, who's also trying to earn a roster spot with the Ottawa Senators defense these days. <laughs> yeah, you well, could. Pl- well, I think you could play right now. Uh, I, I, I'm not. I probably could play for a game and and blend in pretty well, uh, despite my knee. But the, you know, if you're expecting me to skate the next day or even a week <laughs> after that, I might have to. I might have to bail. So I will I give you be, the. Option. I'm a good. I'm a good emergency D-man to have because I have kept up with my fitness and all that stuff. So, but it wouldn't be very pretty. I will send a text to Pierre Dorian. He won't answer it, but I'll send a text. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, the Sens are in Montreal tonight for a preseason matchup number six on the season. Um, Meth, there's concerns right now, and I know there's no Brady Kachuk, and we'll briefly talk about that in a second, but there is concerns uh, about their, their offense and their lack of scoring right now. They've got 12 goals uh, in five games. Seven of those came in one game against Montreal and another three came in another game. So 10 goals in two games, that leaves them with two goals and three games for all the math out there. Hmm. So uh, yesterday you've got DJ Smith talking about uh, Tim Stutzla needs to get dangerous in the offensive zone. They're moving them up to play with Norris and Batherson to see if they can generate some offense that way. Is there a reason in the preseason and we're talking preseason here, like we're play a practice, I guess, is there a reason to be concerned? Well, <laughs> I mean, and, and I think we're in a position now where people are, you know, it's been said the rebuild is over and it's time yeah. to move forward and people are going to expect another step forward. I think 
from a fan's perspective, and, and I'm including myself in that category, I think you need to understand that there's still going to be a lot of growing pains here. I mean, we don't have a, this isn't a deep team, right? Okay. So we lose, you lose Colin White. There's an injury right there. There's been a few. And, and obviously with Brady, not in the lineup right now, the makeup and the structure of some of these lines are off a little bit. And so, you know, that chemistry that these team that these lines will form together, that takes time and reps. And then you factor in, you know, the idea that this is a young group. They're not very deep. Obviously, when you look at the depth here on those third, fourth lines, and perhaps even on their third D pairing, you're not going to get a ton of production there, at least not yet. So I don't know that that's a huge concern. I mean, I know that as, a, as an organization's uh, point of view, you want to take a step forward. You want to be progressing in that direction, but you're still going to get ups and downs. And right now there's yep. a little adversity that this team is facing, right? And until Brady signs and fills in that left side there up front, and then you can structure down, or you get the trickle down effect from all those other good players that are going to be playing where they should be you're going to have some growing pains and that's inevitable. So at this point, Stutzel is going to be up there. Hopefully you can get him confident. Hopefully he can avoid a bit of a sophomore jinx, but you just don't know, right? It's so early. And I, I don't think this team should be putting that much pressure on its, on its players just yet. They're not, they're not in a win now mode right now this season. It's okay to lose a couple games. Okay. So if you are playing on the Ottawa Senators right now and you can see the struggles offensively, is there any concern or are you supposed to get concerned five games into the season. And my point no. is, do we get too bent out of shape right now when we're talking about preseason? Yeah, and we're all hungry for hockey, right? We're all hungry yeah. to quick to, you know, to jump to the conclusion of analyzing what we're seeing out there. And we forget where this team is actually, uh, where this team actually placed last year. And that, you know, they're, they're a bottom tier team. And um, I think they're looking to make that step forward. But again, like I said, and I hate repeating myself, but we have to be patient with this group. It's not going to happen overnight. I know there's a lot of excitement, but it's still, at the end of the day, a very young group. And if you look at the, yeah. the realignment this season, Wally, with the structure, they're being back at the Atlantic, look at the teams they're going to be playing against. This is not going to be a cakewalk, right? So, no. again, I think it comes down to being healthy, and a team like this can't afford a lot of injuries. They quite simply cannot afford it. So they're going to look for some scoring. They've got Stutzler moved up with Norris and Batherson right now. How long does that experiment last for? We don't know. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm curious to see how these last exhibition games play out. And that's one of the things, right? Like you're not looking to necessarily see wins and losses on a score sheet. What you're looking for is individual play. You've seen Correct. Mike Batherson play. He looks like he's fine, ready to go. Josh Norris, Shane Pinto. Yep. Uh, we, you know, we're looking at Chris Tierney. We think he's okay as a serviceable spot in that center rotation. Yep. I, I, I guess the issue is Tim Stutzla. When everybody's got the focus on the big stars, he's the one guy that's generated the most negative attention if you will the way he's played is should there be concern with Tim Stutzler's play as he goes into his second full season uh it depends what your expectation level is if you're expecting him to come out and produce right now and throw out some bold prediction like I did last week with regards <laughs> to the amount of goals I thought he would get um then maybe there are some legitimate reasons for concerns right but yeah. he's so young and we're talking about a really young hockey player here that's just made a step big step into the NHL and so the sophomore jinx is a funny thing because I think it's it's a lot of it as a mindset, right? You come into the league, you're running on adrenaline, you're exceeding everybody's expectation levels in that first year, depending on how you play, of course. And then you come back and you think it's probably just going to come back to you, you know, without with maybe that same amount of effort or it'll come back easier. But that's not the case, right? People, people kind of get attuned to your game and they know who you are now. Like the secret's out there. They know that Tim Stutzler is a dangerous player. He's offensively very gifted. He's got a very good shot. 
it, all of a sudden there's a little bit more focus on you as a player when it comes to the opponents playing against you in their game plan leading up to that game. So, you know, there are a lot of factors and variables that affect your play going into that second season. And that's where the coaching staff and the leadership has to help them as much as they can and insulate them with some pretty good players so that when he does have an off night, he's still supported. Guys are still dragging him into the battle. So again, having said all that, I'm not even remotely concerned with, with Tim Stutzler. He's going to be a fantastic um, elite player at the NHL level. It's just a matter of time. Yep, fair enough. Uh, brings us to the second line, and that's so they've taken Stutzla off the Shane Pinto, Connor Brown, and they put Nick yeah. Paul there. Um, uh, DJ Smith saying it's an identity line. We think it can play with anybody in the league. It's defensively responsible, all that stuff. Uh, all right, so are you okay with this line? I Like Nick Paul is going – it feels like he's just getting moved around, and he's everybody's <laughs> best friend, right? He just yeah. stick him there. He can't play 60 minutes a night, so – where no. is Nick Paul going to end up here? Well, and it's funny because, I mean, I think Wally, you and I can safely say this. We've been pumping this guy's tires <laughs> all last season, and we've been doing it all summer, and, and rightfully so. He's a fantastic player, um, and he's really turned into a very serviceable um, utility guy. On, on pretty, I, And I would, I'd be bold as saying on any team, really. I mean, he can play any kind of way you'd like. But uh, it's interesting, right, because they had, they had, well, I guess they had to shift around Formanton a little bit, and that experiment's kind of fizzling again, and they got him back on that third line. But that's subject to change after yeah. the next game, right? We don't know. But um, do I like Nick Paul there with Pinto and Brown? Sure. I don't see any issue with it. I, I mean, I think he's reliable. You can put him anywhere you like. I feel bad for him because I know as a player, you want to develop instant chemistry with it, with with a line, right? Or in my case, when I played with, with a defense partner and that takes time. And so you got to learn each other's tendencies where everyone's going to be on the ice at all times. And that can take, you know, 10, 20 games. So, um, you know, I know Paulie's got a lot of experience with a lot of these players from last year as well. But um, again, this all comes down to Brady, right? <laughs> at the end yeah. of the day, when he slots back into that lineup, everybody slides down back into their position and all is well again in Sensland. So, uh, again, I'm not going to put too much stock in any of this stuff. I know it's fun to talk about it, and we're doing that right now, but none of it really <laughs> matters because opening night, all these lines are going to look different, assuming Brady's playing. It comes. Down I don't think he's playing opening night, which leads us to all is not uh, well in Sens land. Uh, and so um, here, but here's the thing. So why do fans need to take sides? Because right now it seems like either you have to be on Camp Brady or you've got to yeah. be camp sense. And I don't care because the part of the negotiation is both sides have to give up something. So until then, yeah. it's just a negotiation. I understand it's going late. I understand you want him in the lineup. Everybody does, but that's not yeah. the reality at the moment. So why do you have to pick sides? Isn't it funny though, eh? Like before camp starts, all the pressure, at least, at least, and I'm basing these, this opinion that I'm coming up with here, this is based off of Twitter and social yeah. media. So I don't know how representative it is entirely of the, the entire group of fans, but basically before camp, everybody was on Brady's side, right? And then slowly as camp kind of goes on, people start to lose a little patience and they start, and, and not a lot, but there are a, a small vocal few that are now kind of, you know, turning their, their opinion towards Brady and that he's selfish. And again, I still think it's pretty divided. And at the end of the day, I think it's just a fan base that gets frustrated, right? Everyone's hungry to see Brady play. They love the player and he's a fantastic uh, personality to have in the group. So you know, I think you can see it though, right, Wally? The fan opinion is starting to shift a little bit, and I think people are starting to get very frustrated, but rightfully so. I think nobody ever wants to, to see a stalemate between an organization and one of their star players, never mind the fact that 
you're not really going to get any sympathy from a fan base when it comes to dollar signs. And, and the same applied to the CBA, right? When we were in a lockout, people oh, yeah. get frustrated and then they start voicing your opinion. So if you were to voice an opinion as a player online, you got no sympathy. People yeah. were like, screw you. You know, you're some millionaire. Why are you like, we, we can't, we can't relate to that. It's not fair. So I understand how the narrative has changed now over the last few weeks. I, I actually, I saw it coming and that puts a little bit of pressure on the player. And I said this earlier on Wally, as a player, if you're, if you're holding out, I mean, I haven't, I've never done it myself, but I can only imagine what it's like to watch your line mates and your team battle night in and night out, if you will, you know, in exhibition games and you're sitting back at home thinking, boy, like I need to be there right now. Like I miss that. So I feel like the pressure will start to build a little bit on a player like Brady. I know he's got a lot of good veteran voices in his camp, but it's come on like that. that this is human nature. Your, your teammates, you know, the guys that you go to battle with are out there playing and you're not there. It gets frustrating. So I can only imagine what he's feeling. Uh, and I'm hopeful that both sides can figure this out soon. Two things that bother me about this. One, fans saying, well, I would play for $8 million. Stop being so nah. greedy. <laughs> Listen, I don't begrudge Brady Kachuk getting eight, nine, ten. I don't care if it's $100 million. You get yeah. what the market will pay you. And that is, That's right. listen, it, it yeah. doesn't matter if you're the, you know, Johnny down the street who's an accountant. And you're not making $8 because you're not playing hockey. Like, I, can we just pump the brakes on, oh, stop being so greedy. I'll never see that in my lifetime. You should just be happy to accept it. That's not yeah, how it doesn't work that pro way. sports no. works. The other one is stop taking it so personal. This has nothing to do with you as a fan. I get that you want <laughs> your team to succeed, but they're not coming after you. This is not about you. Just sit yeah. back, wait for them to show up. It's going to happen at some point and let's move on. But I, I don't understand yeah. the vitriol on both sides. Well, I get it. Well, in, I get it in negotiations with players leaving because of that. But I yes. just don't understand until this gets resolved of all the, I guess, the vitriol. Yeah. And and, and again, and I, I don't like sounding like a pessimist by any means, but I mean, this is not a Stanley Cup team right now. So if this was a team that was making a legitimate push and your captain is holding out, I can understand, you know, maybe feeling a little more pressure and being a little more angry, but I think patience is okay right now. This team still is still trying to find itself. Yes, we, we kind of know what their identity is, but they're not making a Stanley Cup push this year. I think they're going to try to progress, as I said earlier. But, yeah. I mean, I'm still hopeful. I'm going to stop blabbing on here and making excuses for Brady. I, I think at the end of the day, Look. we still have to give it time. They still have time. Now, and we talked about this a little bit with, with, with Mike Johnson. Like, he's going to be behind the eight ball now for a little bit, assuming he does sign this week. His conditioning, all that stuff, you cannot replicate that anywhere other than at the NHL level with an NHL hockey club. So if and when he does happen to sign here over the next week, I don't know if you're going to get that same player for those first 10 games at least. Like It's going to take him a little bit of time to get his feet wet and get his conditioning back up to, to par. So again, I think as, as a fan base, as analysts, we just have to be patient. It's going to happen hopefully here at some point. Uh, I, I thought Ian had a really nice piece there in the athletic about this. And he was comparing the bridge deal versus long-term. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. If he does sign a bridge deal, I loved how Ian Mendez put that together in that piece. So he made some really good points. No need to panic. It's going to be okay. The fan, uh, Brady's camp knows the fan base loves him. I'm assuming he loves playing in Ottawa. Yep. It's just all relax sort of. And, but the funny part, well, I guess the, the part about him not being ready to play and, and needing that extra time, he's not the most fleet of foot. So he's no, going to need all the time he can to get back. But in the see, lab. but you can make the argument, Wally, that that's not really a factor because he's not the best skater in the world, right? So he just 
you can make an argument that he can just go out there, get his nose dirty, be a shit disturber, go to net front and whack yeah. in some goals initially, at least before everything else catches up. So it's, it's going to be very intriguing. I'm not sure. I'm with you though. Like if it was me, my conditioning would be off being a defenseman, having to skate backwards and all that stuff. It would affect me big time, yeah. but and just I timing. Mean, yeah, exactly. The timing's a big one too, right? Getting those reps in with your line mates. You cannot replicate that with some junior players back, you know, South of the border. Uh, as we say, interesting to see how this plays out. I don't think he's there on opening night, which is a week away. Do you? Oh, come on. No, don't do that to the <laughs> people. Don't want to hear that. Wally. <laughs> Be positive. I think Brady's going to sign this weekend. I think it's going to get done and you're going to see him in camp or rather in Ottawa a couple days before that first game. So oh, if he signs then on the weekend and happy Thanksgiving to Ottawa, is he in the lineup opening night with just a couple of days to get ready? I, I don't think you can. Yes, it, oh, Wally. He's, guaranteed he's in the then lineup. It, there's guaranteed. the blown. Then he blows his groin and we're done and he's out for months. Yeah, well, okay, that's a little, that's a tad dramatic, but I mean, that could happen to anybody. By the way, I don't know if you're going to segue into that, but we saw a couple big injuries here over the last few nights. <laughs> I didn't, but look at you being a segue guy. Okay, so I'll just bring it up. I wanted to talk about the Sens D, uh, but we can get back to that in a sec. Speaking of defensemen, P.K. Subban the other night mm. with the – I gets tangled up with Ryan Reeves, I'll call it. Um, tangled. There are – obviously, if you're a Ranger fan, it's a deliberate attempt to injure. It's a slew foot. If you are P.K. Subban and the New Jersey Devils, eh, I just was trying to play the puck. I just got my foot yeah. up. It's a kicking yeah. motion to the back of Ryan Reeves' ankle. Uh, you're a defenseman. You've played that position for 600 games. Is that an attempt to injure or was he just trying to stop the puck? Two things can be true. I don't believe PK Subban had any intent on injuring Reeves. I don't think there was any intent to injure him there. He's not known as a dirty player. We can put that to bed, but I still think it was a very reckless play. Although very subtle, that, that left leg of PKs that kind of kicks out a little bit. I forget now if it was his left or his right, but he kind of kind of nudges. Yeah, it kind of nudges Reeves in the back of the skate. As a defenseman, there's no need to be doing that. Like there's there's never I've never had an instinct to kick my leg out to push a player one way or another, and it's incredibly dangerous. That's why we take slew footing so seriously at the NHL level because not only can you smack the back of your head on the ice, um, we saw it with Reeves with his ankle, his knee. I mean, a lot of different things can go wrong. So I think. In the end, I do think that there was zero intent to injure the player, but it was very reckless. Uh, it was very subtle, and I know PK was apologetic afterwards in that little presser that they had. But I, I don't like to play my, you know, myself. And I think selfishly as a fan, I was looking forward to seeing Reeves and the Tom Wilson kind of drama. You know, yeah. maybe a couple fights too. That would have been really cool. A couple big heavyweight fights. But uh, beyond all that, I, I don't know what the what they're going to do like Wally what, do, do, does the league give him a call here or is this just going to be kind of swept under the rug uh, they might give know. him a call like that's an interesting play because and I, I there was a slew foot the other night in the Ottawa Montreal game if I'm not mistaken I think it's the Ottawa Montreal game in in Ottawa uh, there is one that's right behind the net and it doesn't get called um, I, I don't I think it's Gallagher but I don't I, I, I was not I was at a wedding yeah so I, yeah. I'm like drawing a huge blank right now <laughs> it's okay but the slew foot to me is a really I mean that's one of the most dangerous things I think you can do in hockey yeah. and especially it is. now Ryan Reeves is falling and so one of the discussions is he was going to get hurt anyway because he was already off balance now whether he's going to get mm -hmm. hurt I'm not sure but he was looked like he was awkward going down 
in a he was going to fall anyway. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. He, he, I just don't like any... the play. I think it's I think it's a dirty play. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Now, again, the only thing that I'll add, as I said earlier, twice, I don't know that that was intentional, like as far as the intent to injure, obviously. Like, I don't think it was a malicious play. I think it was just a reckless kind of lazy play on P.K. Subban's part, and, and you know, shit happens. It, that's It's as simple Our, as that, and I, I don't want to overanalyze it. I think that it is what it is. Okay, so my last point is then, you call it reckless and not an attempt to injure, but if you are doing – a somewhat kicking motion or lifting your foot up going into the corner. I, it is. I still think like, it's a game. I still think it's a game. I think it's a, at least a game suspension. I do because you have to get that out. Like, and, and not that it's this rampant issue around the NHL where there's these slew foots. It's that's not what I'm saying, but you know, you have to hold players accountable for their actions on the ice and whether you intended to do that or not, it happened. You're it's not a normal hockey play. So yeah. I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably a suspension as much as I hate saying that. I, I mean, you have to call it as it is. My only point is you guys play at the highest level. You are the highest trained athletes. You are the best that you do in your position. So my point is that you have control over this is I, some people are like, well, if you play at a high speed, you don't necessarily have control. No, I'm going to guess you are a defenseman. You would tell me that you have control. You have control. You're not even playing the puck. So what else are you doing? You're shadowing a guy. You're watching him going into the wall. And it could be a bit of a, a foot race, but Reeves had a step on him. He was ahead of him. When a player is going into your corner as a defenseman, you don't even think about nudging him or doing any of that because there's so much that could go wrong, right? Imagine a boarding penalty from 10 feet out and the guy goes in head first because you give him a little casual nudge on the back. Like you just don't do that as a defenseman, yeah. right? So the same applies with your feet. And like, it's it just to me... All I'd be doing in that position is staying behind him and maybe having a hand close to his back and making sure that I'm not going to let him separate myself between him and getting, you know, giving him a step to the net. So again, it's just body positioning. You just have to just stand there and let him do what he's got to do. And then you pin him. So that's, again, it's, it's easy to say that from yeah. behind my computer screen and I am <laughs> acknowledging that, but, but anytime you see a little foot kind of stick out, you think, Ooh, like, I don't like that yeah. place. So eh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I'll move on. He does. If you watch it again, PK does let Reeves go. Like he pauses until Reeves oh, yeah. starts to move towards, Which, and then he follows him in because he doesn't, as right. you say, doesn't want him to cut back to the net. And and that's and that's and that's again, that's where I don't believe it was intended to hurt the guy. Yeah. I think it was just a weird kind of reactionary move that PK had, and it resulted in a bad injury. It's it's unfortunate, but you have to you have to pay the piper anytime a player is out for that long off a reckless play, whether you intended to hurt him or not. Uh, just a reminder, uh, brought to you by Bonisher Excavating, Inc., BEI, uh, BonishereExcavating.com, helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Go see them for equipment rentals and all kinds of aggregate and all kinds of your needs in the Ottawa Valley, uh, BonishereExcavating.com. Uh, finally, uh, one of your favorite topics, well, it's your only favorite topic, and that is talking about the Ottawa Senator Blue Line. Um, Correct. So it looks now like Victor Mete may be moving up the depth chart here and is going to be paired with Zaitsev tonight. Uh, so... Either you're happy with Mete or you're unhappy with Michael Delzato. Well, so were you and I not promoting Mete quite a bit all through camp, all at the start? I was saying this. He can move the puck. And unlike Brandstrom, which I'm still a fan of, by the way, but he's a pretty good defender as well. Like he's, I thought, I thought Mete ended very well last year with his one-on-one -on -one battles. I thought he was pretty good all around and he, he's very confident. So am I surprised now that he's paired with Zaitsev? No, not at all. Because I think if you're watching this and you put politics aside, 
you're not going to have Delzato up there on that second pairing. I don't think he's earned that spot right now. And I hate, I hate criticizing guys, especially players that I used to play against quite a bit. Uh, but it, it's just, that's the truth. And if I'm going to be honest with myself and my assessment, I don't know that he's earned that spot. So right now, I don't even know if I'd put him in the lineup. I, I, I feel like you, I like Branstrom's been pretty consistent. I, I now he's also been pretty consistent in making errors in his own zone, but that's another topic. But if you can get Branstrom to clean up some of his D, D zone blunders, because he's been very good offensively. He's very good at moving the puck. Can't take that away from him. And maybe you play him with a player like Holden, which, by the way, another guy that I liked. As soon as they picked up Holden and Delzato, Holden was my guy. Like, I played with him before. He's smart. He's big. He moves pretty well. I'm not remotely surprised to see him having a pretty solid training camp. So, you know, you have a guy like Mete with Zaitsev. To me, that's a good pairing. I mean, maybe not a good pairing, but it's as good as you'll get right now for that second pairing. And not only that, at least Mete can move the puck pretty well. I don't know that Zaitsev's a great puck mover, but he works his bag off. He's very, he's got great work ethic. So does that leave Delzato as your odd man now with just with, uh, with Josh Brown? I guess so. But even then I like Josh Brown as a seventh guy because you need a player like that occasionally, right? A guy that you can slot into a lineup when you know it's going to be a physical game, or if you know you're going to be killing some penalties on a back-to-back uh, and you need a little bit of energy, that's a good guy to have as your seven. So uh, right now, obviously, Shabbat and Zub, Wally, those are your top two. There's no yeah. question. You can't separate them. You need a you need a, a legitimate top pairing on your team. You can't be shuffling guys around to balance it out. So that's good. Mete and Zaitsev, I guess, for now. You see how that goes over the next few games as well. Hopefully, they develop a little bit of chemistry together. And then Branstrom and Holden, as an experiment, I guess. I mean, Holden's a great guy to have as a partner. I don't know that you're going to find a better one for Branstrom in that entire lineup other than Zub. So, uh, it checks out. I like the way it's formed up and I'm not surprised to see it over the course of the last two weeks come to this point. This is sort of what we assumed would happen. And, um, you know, they'll start off this way. And if at any point Brandstrom struggles, I feel like that's your opportunity to have Delzato slot back into the lineup. Interesting. So along with Nick Paul, uh, Thomas Shabbat and Artem Zub all playing 60 minutes now for the rest of the season. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I hear you. <laughs> but, but that's, that's your depth, right? And that's where, when you look across the NHL and you look at all these lineups, you, you kind of get lost into the bubble that they were in last year in the North. Right. But when you look at these lineups, I think you're going to see some of these guys get exposed a little bit more this year. And that's unfortunate, but, and that's not an indictment of the Ottawa senators. This is all part of the process. And you're not going to go out looking for another top four right now, because you know, you're not making a run for it. So you have to be patient. You have to understand that some of these players are going to get hemmed in their own zone for a long periods of time. Some games are going to get very ugly. Other games are going to go pretty well when they're energetic and they're running around well and they're moving the puck well. But again, you know, this is not a Stanley Cup team by any means, but they're on the right track. And I know with some of the, you know, the young guys that are going to be coming in over the next couple of seasons, the Sandersons, the JBDs, they're going to be okay. Uh, finally, on the Senator topic, and I, I skipped over it earlier, Colin White, they're uh, expected to make an oh, announcement right. on his injury later today. Uh, here's what I, okay. You tell me what you think is going to happen down the middle of the ice on opening night. That's all I want. Just give me your oh. four guys who are going to play opening night. Well, who do we have? So we have Norris, Pinto, Tierney, and Agazino yeah. right now, technically. Yeah. yeah. Technically. And then, you know, I, I I was looking at this this morning, Wally, and I'm thinking, like, I'm trying to, like, play out different scenarios. I know Nick Paul's that kind of wild card, excuse me, sure. that you can move. But even then, so if you move Nick Paul – 
who do you have on your second line there on that left wing if Brady's not in the lineup, right? Like, I, I don't know. So for now, I mean, Norris, Pinto, Tierney, Agazino, that's probably your safe bet. Uh, you know, and I don't know. And then you have like on that fourth line, obviously we have Sanford and Ennis playing on the wings, but I don't really like that fourth line to be honest with you. But I guess as a, as a coach, you don't really have to play them a ton. Uh, and, and I think again, and I keep saying this, I sound like a bloody broken record. This all comes down to Brady Kachuk, right? When Brady decides that he likes the deal on the table and he comes back into this lineup, it'll put the lines back at ease a little But right now. I think when we're talking about center with Colin White's unfortunate injury, and by the way, I feel for, for Whitey, that's, it's, it's awful. And this was his bounce back year. Not that it's over for him by any means, but to be out for that long is going to hurt him a little bit. And that's not cool. But um, I guess back to the point here, Norris, Pinto, Tierney, Agazino, I, I don't see how you shuffle anything else around. I'm sure there are options. I don't know what they are at the moment. Here's what I think is going to happen. And just quickly on Colin White, I didn't, Remember last year, he was a healthy scratch going in to start the season. So it looked like things were going to obviously turn around for him. He was going to have a spot yeah. probably at third line. Now it's obviously weeks to longer away. I yeah. think Pierre Dorian is going to go to the waiver wire to pick yeah. up. Yeah, well, that was, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, I've read some stuff with regards to that online. I'm just not going to bank on it. But, but Wally, I agree. If there's ever you, a time, exactly. now's the time. I mean, you got to fill that void with, with, with white out now, especially like well, you're, you're, you're very thin up front. Like that is a it, thin lineup as they get down to uh, rosters having to be trimmed right to 23 and under and guys going through waivers. There's all kinds of players right now. that are going to be put on waivers, but how and many times, how many times I, does a waiver player ever turn out to be a real effective guy on your team? Almost never. Victor Mete for, okay. is in your lineup. I'm talking out a training camp here, but I know what you mean. I, 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 I just, Tyler I Ennis was on waivers at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. But I, I, we're, I understand we're, what you're saying. It's very rare that guys get picked up and moved. I understand that. But when you have yeah. a necessity like they do now, there should be somebody available that will be serviceable yeah. as a fourth line center for them. Well, and I'm, I keep, yeah, and I keep, and they need to add this. some money. You're, yeah, well, that's another big one, right? Is you got to reach the cap floor. So, yeah, yeah it'll be interesting. I, I don't know who they're going to go after. I'm curious to see who ends up on waivers on some of these other top teams, but man, oh man, like they, they got, they got, they need something right now, especially in the front. I mean, I, there's an argument to be made on the back end as well, but I'm not as panicky back there. They've got a couple, they've got good depth at the very least, right? Like with players yep. like Brown and Delzato. So, I mean, they should be okay, but I agree, Wally going after a forward right now seems like a, a pretty important uh, detail. Uh, all right. Uh, by the way, just a reminder, the Ontario Clothing Company is still running a promo. you got a couple of days left to get in. Uh, use the coupon code, all caps, WHAM SHOW, and that will help you get 15% off the entire order. Go to Ontario Clothing Company, check them out. Really great stuff. Uh, and finally, coming up, uh, we have Jacques Martin. Uh, I, you know, he's the, the winningest coach all time in Senators history, but he's a really good person and now working over at TVA doing analysis. He's been a head coach with four teams Great stuff. And we get to go back and have some chats about Jacques Martin. Um, before, Matt, do you have an old coach, and I will say outside of junior to the NHL, where a minor league coach that really became one of the instrumental influences in your hockey career? Oh, so we're not allowed to consider. So junior's out of the question. Can't say Dale Hunter. It's too easy. Because <laughs> Dale Hunter would have been my pick for sure. Yeah. Um, like, okay. So what, what is it about Dale Hunter that makes well, because, him so good? Well, be, it was such a, it was such a pro style environment that we were playing in because Dale has so much in it. 
obviously, because Dale, not just Dale, but Mark Hunter as well. They between the two brothers, there's so much NHL experience that they were they've created an NHL factory in London, Ontario. And that's that was the case. I mean, we had like, I want to say we had about eight or nine draft picks. When I won the Memorial Cup there, we had about eight or nine NHL draft picks on that team at the very least. Um, and it was just that that kind of environment that you could learn off of. And it really prepared me for you know the American League when I made that jump. But I mean, if for for argument's sake. I'm trying to think of coaches that I can truly look back on and lean on. And I think Dale, Dale's probably one of them for sure. And then, you know, Ken Hitchcock was my first NHL coach when I was called up. So I maybe Hitch is part of that equation sure. as well. So, but I mean, a lot of, a lot of this stuff, I mean, once you get to the pro level is on your own, you know, you're not, you're not really, you're, you're not really mentored by a coach unless you're an 18 year old getting into the NHL and a coach takes you under your, you know, under his wing type of deal. That's different. Yeah. But when you're coming into the NHL at 22, 23, 24, you've kind of have to figure it out on your own. Right. And, and more importantly, you're looking at veterans, captains, uh, the guys that have been around, like when I was in the American league, we had a captain, his name was Jamie Pusher. He won an NHL. He won a Stanley cup at the NHL level under Ken Hitchcock in Dallas, like a seasoned veteran guys like that are the, are the people that are your biggest influences. And I, in my opinion, far greater than coaches really. And I, and I mean that with all due respect to all the coaches. I know I had Scott, Scott O'Neill was probably one of the best coaches I had because uh, in, in Columbus, when I was starting to br really break out into the NHL and become an established player, he gave me an opportunity to play a lot as a head coach when he was in, in Columbus, but the, your, your, your most influential figureheads at the NHL level are always going to be the players and your leadership. Interesting. Uh, last question on that. London. What was the difference when you uh, played in the National Hockey League for the Columbus Blue Jackets that was different from London, aside from the plane, obviously, in the, in the hotel? <laughs> you the travel? Right. Oh, but, man. Like, when you walked into the NHL rink or whatever, was, were you it like, was, this is pretty yeah, much the same? It was, you know what the difference was? I wasn't playing with 18-year-olds anymore. It was like, all of a sudden, you're playing with guys who have kids. Like, you're playing with full-grown dads, right? Yeah. And especially at that time when I came into the league, it was a little older than it is now. So you get in there and everyone's got, everyone's got kids, some kids in school, like, you know, Adam foot was our captain. And like, you know, he has, he had three boys at this point, this mansion and everything was just, <laughs> it was just a real, it was a real eye-opening experience. Right. Because it, it was just a, a like culture shock for me as a young, a young player living in my billets basement, now making my, the, the step to the NHL or the American league and, you know, responsibilities have changed. Now I'm not living with the billet family anymore. I got to pay my own bills and I'm calling my agent asking why half my paycheck is gone. Well, Mark, <laughs> it's taxes. Welcome to the real world. So those are all things that change as, as a player when you make that jump. And, you know, it's a good, it's, it's, it's a crash course learning experience for sure. Interesting. You say that about coaches and teaching because Jacques Martin, our guest coming up was always known to be a great teacher. Cause at the time, right. He took over a a fledgling Ottawa Senator team and turned them into a powerhouse. And he taught yeah. a lot of those because they were all young up and coming guys, much like we're seeing right now uh, with this yeah. group of Ottawa senators that is coming up after the break. It is brought to you by whitewater beer. Of course, whitewater beer quenches all our interviews uh, shop whitewater.ca use 15% off to get, use the Wally Mathoc coupon, get 15% off. And don't forget the Killaloo sunrise. That's right. The beaver tail inspired quenching beer that you can use for this Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll be right back after the break. You're watching the Wally Mathot Show. Hey 
Here's the pre-scout on Jacques Martin, built by BEI, Bonnetshire Excavating, Inc., helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Visit BonnetshireExcavating.com for equipment rentals, aggregate, and so much more. Okay. He's the head coach of four NHL teams, started in St. Louis, spent nine years with Ottawa. He went to Florida and ended with Montreal. Uh, 341 wins is the most by any Senators head coach. Uh, won the 1999 Jack Adams Award for Coach of the Year. Three other times a finalist. And he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He also helped Canada win Olympic gold, World Cup of Hockey, and World Championship. I could go on and on, uh, but you get the picture that Jacques Martin is a very, very highly decorated coach. And, of course, he just turned 69 years old. Uh, Pearls of Wisdom, brought to you by SportsInteraction.com, Canada's odds makers. Go to SportsInteraction.com slash Mathot today to get on great betting, uh, user-friendly design as well. All right. Eight straight playoff appearances with Ottawa uh, from 1997 to 2004. He won three Northeast Division titles with Ottawa, including the President's Trophy in the 0203 season. And uh, he is 16th all-time in games coached at 1,294. 21st all-time in wins, and this is the best part. 613 career wins as an NHL head coach, which coincidentally is the area code for Ottawa. Jacques Martin, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be on, guys. It's, it's so good to see you. I, I guess, what have you been up to? Well, this year is a little different. Uh, as you know, most of the falls in the past years have been kind of dedicated and uh, involved with training camps. So it's a busy time of the season. So for me this year, it's a good thing. I'm used to training camps. So right now, because I've had uh, knee surgery, I'm uh, on the schedule uh, twice a day. Uh, rehabbing in the morning, rehabbing in the afternoon. So it kind of fits the mold of a training camp schedule. Is it tough for you not to be on the ice or around the rink right now? Uh, it is. Uh, I think, you know, you, the one thing with, with uh, hockey, I think that uh, you develop over the years is the, you know, the relationships uh, with the staff, with people you work with, but also the relationships with, with players. And uh, the fact that, uh, you know, I've been around the league, uh, for 35 years, um, you know, you get to to work with with young players, so it kind of keeps you young. And uh, I've always appreciated uh, having to uh, to deal with with the players. I think uh, always felt that uh, the one of the job of a coach is to try to make the player uh, the best possible that he can be, uh, and understand that he has some great assets, get him to play within his strength and also to work on areas that he needs to improve. But I think as a coach, uh, you know, over my career, uh, I've been able to fairly be objective about, uh, about a player that, you know, certain, uh, we all have deficiencies and uh, same thing with players. And I think the key is if you can accept those deficiencies and try to get them to work uh, within his strength, I think that you'll be able to get the best out of that player. So, uh, not to be involved uh, in training camp, not to be around the rink, uh, it, it sure is different uh, this year. Uh, wait a sec. What is Sidney Crosby's deficiencies? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not many, I'll tell you. Like, uh, you know, I, and I've been fortunate for seven years to, to work with Sid, and uh, I, I don't think you can get a, a, better, uh, a better human being. Uh, a player that, you know, the, the one thing I have to say, like he's, he's probably not the most skilled player, but because of his, of his work ethic, because of his dedication and just that, uh, that eager or that urge to, to improve on a daily basis, 
he's made himself like uh, the best player uh, of this era. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's unusual. Like he, he has some, uh, some uh, specifics as far as his love for the game that uh, are, are not found in, in many players today. Like uh, I think uh, he's the type of player that just loves to come into your office after a practice and spend an hour talking about hockey or even just at night, sometime I'll just be watching a game, pre-scouting a game and, I'll be getting a text, you know, uh, did you see what they did on the, on the power play? You know, I think you mm. think we could put that into our power play. So he's, he's always constant um, love for the game and, and improvement of the game and, and just such a great human being uh, to be around. The one thing about him, I always have told people, and I, I, I kind of got spoiled watching enough of their playoff games, is he's the best practice player I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the way that he would go about practice – did you notice that about him or am I, am I making this up? Like he's the one guy I could just notice in practice that stood out completely. No, you're not wrong at all. I, and I think that, uh, I mean, it's such a, it's such a pleasure and it's such an important factor for a coach to have a player like that because he sets the tone uh, mm-hmm. for the practice. And, and he's a player that, that, that looks for perfection in practice and doesn't accept uh, nothing else and what the time that he spends even like before practice or after practice working on the detail but uh, you're absolutely right he, he's a type of player that uh, and it's great to have as a coach because he, he's a great sounding board uh, as far as your, your length of practice uh, you know that you have the material that you cover uh, it's, it's great to get his input because I think uh, it helps the team to get better on a daily basis. Where would you put Alfie, Daniel Alfredson, in terms of that kind of preparation practice type player? Well, that's the one thing about uh, Daniel. I think uh, he, he was a player that practiced hard, uh, had great dedication, and also a player that spent a lot of time after practice uh, working on the, some of the details to improve his game. Uh, you know, just, just his attitude, I think uh, his leadership, um, you know, I think is very similar to, to Sid. Uh, uh, from a standpoint that a lot, a lot of those leaders, uh, they lead by example. It's not that they're uh, big talkers in the dressing room. Uh, it's just how they go about their job uh, on a daily basis, how they prepare for a practice, uh, the concentration, the focus that they bring to the practice, uh, the attention to detail. And the same thing with, with the game, with the preparation. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're looking for information uh, to make themselves better, to, to better prepare themselves. So I think Alfie is, is very close to, is very similar to, to, to Sid on, in, on that standpoint. Uh, when you look back at your nine years in Ottawa, I guess, how would you sum it up? You, I mean, you dominated, you had so many successful years. I know it just, you fell short in the playoffs, but really uh, you took a team that was, I'm going to say in a, in a mess or disarray, or at least on the rebuild and turn them into a perennial Stanley Cup contender? Well, I think I was very fortunate to have uh, some great talent in Ottawa, and I think uh, a lot of the credit should go to the, the organization, the scouting staff, uh, the support staff, and, and everybody. I, I, I think when I, when I came to Ottawa, I still remember my first meeting with the players, you know, looking at the, around the room at the players on a, on a morning of a game. And just looking at the eyes and, you know, all, all what they were looking for was, was directions, really, uh, somebody to, to, to lead them. And uh, as I said, I think I was very fortunate to have, to have some, some great talent. You know, when you look at 
lot of times when you look at building teams, you look at building through the center, but really our, our strength, you, you look at the right side. Uh, when we had Alfie, we had Asa, we had Avlat, you know, that's pretty good. Three pretty good right wingers. And then, you know, we, we had some, some, some great, uh, great players. You look at defense, you know, the Wade Redden, the Chris Phillips, you know, the Zeno Shera, uh, just to name a few. Uh, I, I think when, when I think of Ottawa, I think I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. Uh, I'm disappointed that we didn't win a Stanley Cup. And, and I really learned a lot. And, and I think that uh, I know that at this point in my career or, or even like uh, later on in my career, I think I, I really improved uh, as a coach. Uh, you know, when I, when I look at Ottawa, probably my, my biggest disappointments are, are playoff. Uh, our failures against the Maple Leaf. Uh, if I would have had the experience that I have now, I, I think I could have helped our team a lot more in the playoff and uh, hopefully would have brought a cup to Ottawa. I think that that's the one area. But I have tremendous uh, memories of, uh, of my years in Ottawa. Uh, the growth of our players, like whether it's uh, – I remember every training camp, I think at the end of camp before we started season, we'd always go on a retreat and – I always try to bring the team to a different place. Uh, I remember maybe the first year might have been Lake Placid because we were opening the season in Montreal, uh, whether it was Mont Tremblant, uh, whether it was uh, Vail, or whether it was uh, Banff or uh, La Malbine, Quebec, Charlevoix. You know, th those were great experiences. And I think it was my third year. I remember we were in Banff because we were opening the season uh, out west. And when we were doing that, that team building, trying to get the players involved, uh, in establishing uh, the guidelines for the season, or the values for the season, and what the players came uh, came up with was the word "pay the price," and every letter stood for uh, for a statement, whether it's uh, preparation, whether it's attention to details, attitude, whatever it was. But just to see the growth of uh, of the players uh, through those meetings and what they had come up with. To me, as a coach, that, that made me feel really good to see that they were really growing, not just only as hockey players, but really as people. And uh, I was very fortunate to, to have some, some great people in, in Ottawa. So um, I, I think there's lots of memories. That, like, like I said, the, uh, the disappointment was not to win a Stanley Cup for, for the organization and the city of Ottawa. And Jacques, just to add to that with regards to the Ottawa Senators, obviously some great teams there during those years. When you came in, you've always had that great reputation of being very defensively structured and you liked your team playing with structure, of course. I never had the pleasure of playing with you. I would have loved that. But I, I, so I'm assuming there's a bit of truth there, of course, judging by your reaction. Did, did you ever have trouble reining in some of these high-powered players, you know, offensively-minded guys, and getting them to buy into that transition into your style of play? Not really. I think because I really believe, as you're correct in saying that, you know, I believe in defense. Uh, I believe in having structure because I, I think you need to have that to win a cup. And yeah. I think that's the ultimate goal. But at the same time, I think I've always been a coach that uh, preached uh, uh, liberty of players, let, let the players express themselves, the skilled players. I, I think yeah. to me that the, 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 the guideline is uh, don't put your t teammates in trouble. Or even like, you know, a great example, for instance, I would show sometimes players, you know, making turnovers at the blue line. But if you stop and come back and help out, that's okay. Uh, I don't have any issues with that. Uh, so I, I think it's more of a being able to, to read situation. But I, I've always preached 
you know, creativity in, in the players. And, and it's interesting because when I came to Ottawa, I looked at basically at two teams uh, to me that were, uh, that influenced me in developing the system of play that we wanted to play. I thought that the two best, two of the better teams in the league at that time were the Detroit Red Wings and the New Jersey Devils. And probably more creativity with, with the Red Wings, a yep. little more structure with, with the Devils and try to combine both those elements. And, and it's interesting when people say I, I'm a defensive coach. I sure was a defensive coach when I first started in Ottawa because we didn't have the talent to score goals. But my last four, four or five years in Ottawa, we were one of the highest scoring teams. So, yeah. but I think, you know, I, I try to get players to play uh, both ends of the ice. And I, and, and I think, uh, you know, in most cases now, uh, it, it's what you see. And, uh, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of my experience with the 2002 Olympic team. I remember when we had our first meeting, uh, we had the notes from the 1998 Team Canada uh, that played at the Olympics. And they were built up with more with like six forwards of star players and then more of a role player. And I remember when we had the, the big discussion with, with Wayne Gretzky, who was our general manager. Well, why do we need the role players at the Olympics? I mean, you look at the end of a game, who are you going to have on the ice? Steve Eisenman's going to be on the ice. Joe Sackett's yeah. going to be on the ice because they're, they're 200 feet players. So, and then if you have some injuries, those guys could move up the lineup. So I think it's, it's recognizing uh, your personnel and trying to, to make the best, but develop a system and develop a strategy that's going to try to bring the most of, the, of each player. That's funny you say that, Jacques. I was going to interrupt Meth just before you answered to say, listen, he's taken this all his career of being this defensive coach. I think in the total time you were in Ottawa, all nine years, you were sixth overall in most goals scored or fifth, somewhere in that area. And I just, I always remember because people be like, it's just boring hockey. I'm like, wait a second. They're scoring five goals a game. It's not that. Like, <laughs> tell, tell Daniel Alfredson it's not very exciting when he's got That's 94 right. points, right? So I do want to say, uh, we watched how it wasn't defensive. You just got labeled that way. And you could mm. never shake it for the rest of your career, right? No, I guess <laughs> that's true. But, you know, and that's fine. I, and I think and as, uh, as a coach, it's like a player. You grow. Like, I, I mean, like when I left Ottawa, then I had some great opportunities. You know, I, I went to Florida for five years. I, I was coaching GM there. Then I came to Montreal. And then probably uh, I learned a lot when I was in Pittsburgh as an assistant not only from a, a coaching standpoint, but also more from a manager standpoint. I think uh, it was an organization. Uh, I give a lot of credit to Jim Rutherford that uh, uh, he did a great job uh, managing people and, you know, hired people, let them work. But, uh, you know, I look at like at the game, not only on the ice, but off the ice. Um, there's been so, so many changes. It's changed. Unbelievable. When I first started in 86, you know, basically the, the general manager who was my first GM was Ron Caron. I think people in Ottawa would remember the professor, uh, you know, the coach and his right-hand man would run the team. Now mm. the general manager, I mean, he, he's got 12, 15 people that, that he relies on, you know, his coaching staff, uh, his assistant GM, uh, his pro scout. And probably the other area, the other aspect of the game that's changed tremendously either as a coach and as a GM, you, you've got to really learn to manage up. And I think it's so important now. I, I feel that the general manager is almost part of the coaching staff in, in mm -hmm. today's game. 
because the general manager's got to uh, answer to either his president or the ownership. And in most cases now, ownership is very, very involved in the game. So they've, they've got to be part of the, uh, of this, uh, of the solution. So I think that's why uh, you have people, you know, in order to be successful, uh, everybody's got to be on the same page. Uh, if there was one player in Ottawa that created the most controversy surrounding you uh, was Jason Spezza uh, and how, how his career began. Would you now, knowing what you know, changed anything uh, as you handled it back then? No, not really, because I, 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 like, I think people felt that, you know, there's two players that probably people felt that uh, uh, I didn't handle well. Maybe Jason's a good example. Uh, and would be P.K. Subban in Montreal. But, you know, like I have tremendous respect for, for Jason and, and uh, you know, and I did then. I, I, I think it, it's a matter of uh, progressing and it's a matter of learning. And I, and I think I've always respected how hard Jason worked off the ice in the summertime, uh, his diet, and how he was committed. And I think it, it, it's proven, like when you look at the length of his career, he's still playing. And, you know, I've had some good conversation a couple of years ago when I was in Pittsburgh with Jason on, on a morning of a game. Um, you know, like at that time, it's difficult because I know when I, I, I took him out of the lineup uh, in Toronto and the playoff game. But, you know, before I made that decision, I, I spoke with our leaders. You know, I had consulted with Alfie. As a coach, you're trying to put the best players that's going to allow you to win the game. And at that time, uh, you know, Jason had some excellent offensive skill, but had some deficiencies. And I think he learned o over the years. Um, you know, I think the year after, I think I left Ottawa was a year of a lockout. So Jason went and played in, in Binghamton. A lot of the guys that were uh, eligible went and played it, and it really helped their development. And I think Jason has developed into a, a tremendous two-way players. But not just Jason, a, a lot of players, when they start, um, you know, that they, they don't understand uh, how they have to evolve and, and get better at some other aspect. And, you know, it's, you know, in, in this day and age, yeah, maybe I would have it differently, but uh, I think it's helped him with his career. And, and PK, the same thing. I, I, I think, you know, in PK's situation in Montreal, you know, I don't know how many meetings I had before I had to take him out, but he would still do the same thing. The one thing I've got to say, once I took him out for a couple of games, he was our best defenseman the second half of the season. And unfortunately, as a coach, uh, that's the 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 that's the leverage you have. Their ice time. I mean, they all have guaranteed contracts, so the game has changed. You you've got to try to you hope that that doesn't go to that uh, that uh, situation. But sometimes, uh, you know, like it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you an example. You, you bring a great point here. I had a good conversation with Julian Brisbois this summer. And we were talking about, you know, what, what was the turning point for their organization before they won their first Stanley Cup? And we both agreed, like, uh, it was the same situation. Like, first of all, it was accumulation of defeats in the playoff. Uh, you know, losing uh, in the final, Stanley Cup final, losing in the conference final to us. And then three years ago, after having an outstanding regular season, losing in the first round four straight to Columbus. That was a, mm -hmm. a big impact. But probably the, the, the second most important point was the following season, halfway through the season, 
John Cooper decided to bench Kucherov for an entire third period. And at, at that point, I think he made a statement to his team that you have to play a certain way to win in the playoff. So that was a, so, you know, like it wasn't taking him out, but Kucherov wasn't a, a beginning player either. So I think you don't like to do those things, but when you look at the game and I don't know, I'd like to know uh, Mark's opinion, but my own opinion with, with, um, with top players, the difficulty for them in the playoff is that because the game changes in the playoff, you know, the, the referees, you know, there's very little call. There's very little space. So mm-hmm. you have to adjust your game. And, and, that, and I think a lot of the top players have difficulty adjusting their, their, their game in the playoff. And I think yeah. that's one factor. The quicker they adjust. And I think when you look at Tampa for the last two years, you look at the way Kucherov last year and Stamkos, the way they played, I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, you know, they were a big factor. But even like in the fa- in the final, which probably the third line was the most um, factor or the most impressive line for Tampa, still the Kucherov and the Stankos didn't put their team in, in bad situation. They dumped pucks in when they had to. They still were creative. But for them to adjust, sometimes it, 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 it's hard for star players to understand that. And to me, in order to win a Stanley Cup, your star players have to play a certain way, uh, team committed. And the other thing is you need to have the depth. If you don't have the depth, you look at all the teams that win the Stanley Cup during those four rounds, because it's a marathon. Your star players are going to be the top guys, but you're going to have some games and some series where your foot soldier are going to carry you, are going to allow you to win games. And I know the two Stanley Cups that we won in, in Pitt, uh, our star players were good. We wouldn't have won if it wouldn't have been for our third line and fourth line, like the Nick Bonino, the Matt Cullen, uh, those people that that brought great contribution to our team. Yeah, and you bring that up, Jacques, with regards to that 2017 run you guys had, and obviously, can, can wait a second, Matt. Uh, I just I appreciate the fact that he just rolled over the the that he didn't mention that he put an end to your season. That you know, Chris Kunitz, he didn't mention Chris Kunitz's name, nothing like he did that very sly. I appreciate that. Well, and well, we're gonna get to that right now. So, I, I, uh, and and no, but I'm curious because we come into that building, I guess it's sort of off topic in a sense, but we come in there rather meet up with you guys in that third round, and we obviously have a different style where you know, as you remember, Guy Boucher liked that one three one, it was a bit of a different system that you're playing against. Obviously, and I love the point that you make about having your role players, excuse me, your top players buy in because you're right the, the playoffs is different. They're just completely different. Like I was able to take liberties on a ton of players and get away with yeah. it. Right. And I'm a good example yeah. of that and I'll own it. That's fair. So can I ask you, can I ask you a question, Mark, before yeah, no, I, I think you bring, no, no, you bring a great point, you know, like, like geese system is different, but yeah. really you guys had a great playoff run that year. To me, it wasn't about the system. Like we had no trouble through your neutral zone. The yeah. difference was all the players were committed. Like yeah. I remember the number of shots that you guys blocked. And, you know, and I think that, you know, like it, every team has their own system. So they play within it. But if guys aren't committed, you're not going to win. And you guys were committed and played really well. And, and I think that, you know, in order to like players today as a coach, to me, you, you've got to consider, uh, when you decide on your system, 
most teams now play a pressure game because players like that. I think, you know, like you want to pressure, like that was one thing in, in, in our zone, we weren't getting pressured, you know? So we spent yeah. a lot of time in your zone, but you guys did a tremendous job uh, blocking shots, you know, cutting lanes and, you know, you were really committed. So I mm. think that's the point I wanted to emphasize that in the playoff, it's amazing how guys are, you know, block shots and do things that they don't do in the regular season. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, 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 no. That's your, your bang on. So that was, I guess, leading me into my question was, I'm assuming I've already heard the answer just now and that I guess there were, really wasn't an adjustment that you guys had to make. It was just hoping that your offense would eventually come and you guys had to be patient. I'm assuming that's it. Yeah, ex exactly. I, I think, you know, we were the more talented team and, uh, yeah. you know, but it just shows that uh, even if you have more talent, it doesn't mean you're going to win, you know, and especially if, if the other team plays the right way. And I, and I think both teams, you know, uh, both teams could have won. Like, I mean, in the seventh game, it went to a second overtime period. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it just shows that, uh, you know, you need the breaks. And, you know, really that year, like, it, it's interesting because our, our first two rounds, uh, the goaltender, especially against Washington, Marc-Andre mm. Fleury was outstanding. Uh, he was a big factor in us beating Washington that year. And what's interesting is, Washington probably had a, a better hockey team that year than the following year when they won the Stanley Cup, you know, yeah, talent-wise. Yep. Yeah, you know. And then against you guys, it, it, it was a tremendous series. Uh, you know, the way you guys played, you guys, you were committed. You had some good offense. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate to, to, to win. And then also, like, uh, uh, we, you know, when Fleury uh, had a bad game, I think, in Ottawa, that game three, uh, got replaced by Murray. And then Murray came in and, and he, he played outstanding. Yeah. So what was the game? Like, I mean, you've coached a million rounds here. If you can remember, did you guys have any specific game plans, like, like with regards to our team that you had to apply? Yeah, de definitely. Like, you know, like, especially when you look at, you know, special teams, like I think, you know, you had some, some, some big shooters, uh, you know, you, you talk about the key players on, on your team, but a lot of times, and, and probably like when I was saying before, um, a lot, a lot of times when you, when you get into playoff, you know, as a coach, what allows you to win is the players winning their one-on-one -on -one battles, you know, a lot of times, yeah. but you know, what I've learned over the years in my coaching days is that players don't like to hear that. So you kind of have to uh, massage it or players are looking for answers when you look game, when you after a loss. So a lot of times you got to refer to your system. You got to, you know, bring some adjustment. Okay. So you got to get them involved. Not so much talking about the one-on-one -on -one battles because they don't, but in reality, if you win your one-on-one -on -one battles, if you, you know, if you outnumber opposition on the puck, that what, that what makes the difference. But I, I think against you guys, I think, you know, yes, we, we had a certain way to play against your neutral zone because it was different than a lot of other teams. But I, I think, again, it's a matter of reading the play from a standpoint. And we had a lot of skilled players. But yep. when you don't have ice or you don't have time, you got to use the ice that's available. And against you guys with that system is really just getting the puck behind and not mm -hmm. too hard because you, with the one three one you've got one guy back. But if you got a nice little chip with support, you could regain yeah. puck possession, you know. And, and a lot of times you, you look at the game now in the playoff, most goals are scored by shots that are screened, rebounds. Yeah. You know, you'll get the pretty goal once in a while, but most often it's 
it's the ugly goals that 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 wins game. Speaking of uh, Matt Murray, you said came in in that series, ended up going on to win the Stanley Cup. Can he regain his form in Ottawa? I'm sure you've seen the struggles he's had of late uh, and now signed to a big deal here. I know it's tough to talk about players on other teams, but do you think that he can find that game again? Yes, for sure. I, I think Matt's uh, is an excellent goaltender. I mean, there's a reason why he's won two cup. And, and I think that, uh, you know, he's a goalie that uh, probably he needs some protection. I, I think the, I'll give you some good example. Uh, I think was the, the two years after we had, we won the, we won the cup. Uh, we weren't very good defensively. We weren't a committed team in regular season. I think we were 28 in the league as far as odd, odd man rush against. So mm. it's difficult for a goalie uh, if you don't uh, if you don't help him if you don't have good coverage. So I think that the team in, in Ottawa this year I think a little more experience. Uh, I think they'll probably play better defensively, and I think that's going to help Matt. But I, I believe that uh, he's, he's a number one goaltender, and I, I believe that uh, he'll bounce back. I got a, a million questions, and I'm trying not to bounce all over the place, but I need to ask this before I forget. You had Gary Roberts when you were the general manager of the Florida Panthers and the Ottawa Senators wanted to acquire him. Were you ever going to trade Gary Roberts to the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> There's a pause there, Jacques. No, no, no. I, I'm just, I'm just trying to recollect that the, when the case, when the case came up, I was in, in Florida. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I don't have any issues with trading trading Gary back. I mean, Gary was was very good for my career. I actually had Gary in uh, junior hockey in Guelph when we won the Memorial Cup. He was one of the uh, yep. major reasons we won the Cup. So, uh, and then it was great to to get back uh, having Gary in in Florida, um, as well as Joe Newendike. I think they were two, you know, tremendous veterans uh, to help yeah. the kids develop. So, no, I have no issues. I think it just turned out to be that, uh, you know, we had uh, a little more coming back. What happened? What do you mean what happened? Can we you, traded well, him to Pittsburgh. But, but <laughs> how close was the deal with Ottawa? It seemed like it was done, and then all of a sudden he ended up in Pittsburgh. No, no, I don't think, no, the deal wasn't done in Ottawa. No, okay. I think, uh, yeah, no, that's just speculation by the media. Well, this is classic Brent Wallace, Jacques. So you have to understand who you're speaking to right now. He's Listen, just digging, digging I've for been, shit. I'm oh, thinking yeah. I probably had a thousand interviews with He's Jacques. He's still the same as before. He's yeah, still the I've, same. But I've never had this kind of time, so I just want to make sure I make the most of it. Um, uh, the other one was Pete DeBoer, you hired as head coach in, in Florida, and he was in the running for Ottawa. Was it ever close that he was going to end up in Ottawa and not there? I I, I was told it's a four-year deal. Uh he wanted a four-year deal in Ottawa and didn't get it. So he ended up in Florida. I do, do you, is there anything there uh, with hiring Pete DeBoer as your coach? No, I, I, I think I knew that he had met uh, with Ottawa. Actually, I think he met with even the ownership in Ottawa. Uh, no, I, I think when, uh, when I identified Peter as the guy that I wanted, uh, you know, I, I think he felt comfortable with, with our environment. And uh, for whatever reason, you'd have to ask Peter why, why he picked uh, Florida, but I think uh, I think it was a good place. I, I have a lot of respect for 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 Pete. What he did uh, before entering the NHL, I think he was a, a young, uh, promising coach uh, that you know had uh, had a success, a lot of success in, in the OHL. 
And I felt I would have a, a really good career in the NHL and he, and he has, you know, so I think, um, you know, I was very fortunate that we were able to, to get him. Uh, you know, it's funny you bring that up, you know, like uh, Pete DeBoer, but the one thing I was able to do through my career, like I, I've hired a lot of people, like, uh, I don't know if you guys know about like fitness, but Andy O'Brien, who trains Sid Cro- Sidney Crosby, uh, he came to fire him when I was in Florida. So, you know, so I think, uh, no, I think Peter was, uh, was made the right decision. <laughs> like, I think he just picked the favorite GM. Um, and did you like being GM? Like, it seemed like you were always a, a coach. Like, I always thought of you as a coach, and I saw you as GM, and I'm curious if, did, did that feel right to you? Did, was it fun to make the moves? Well, it, it was fun, but, it, like, it was kind of a peculiar situation. If you remember, I, I was GM coach for two years. Uh, mm-hmm. I become I, I became GM after one year of coaching in, in Florida, uh, and then I did both did both jobs for two, and then just stepped uh, stepped up to to GM, and I, I enjoyed the GM job. Uh, but I, I, you know, when I look back, um, when I was talking before about managing down, managing up, I didn't do a good job of managing my ownership. You know, and after my experience now, it was to do it again. I, I would change that, but I really, I, I enjoyed, you know, working with, with my scouts, working with my assistant GM. I think you guys remember I hired Randy Sexton mm-hmm. as my assistant GM and, uh, and enjoy that. I didn't enjoy having, go, having to go through my, my budget every month, line by line to try to save, <laughs> save money. I guess if you, if you guys will remember, that's the year that, uh, uh the market went down in two, 209, uh, yeah, the yeah, 2009. 2009. Yeah, yeah, 2008. Yeah, yeah. When the market yeah. went down, just uh, as uh, just as a side note here, uh, getting a call from my ownership one time. We're in we're in L.A., so I got a call at five o'clock in the morning asking me to cut my budget by ten million. So, you know, just <laughs> so some of the fun things of being a jail manager. But no, I enjoyed uh, working as a jail manager, and um, you know, I, I was really kind of green, but. Uh, Learn through the process, and and then I had an opportunity. I think uh, when Montreal contacted uh, Florida to to get back into coaching and uh, having an opportunity to coach a, a great organization with uh, with so much history, uh, it was a challenge that uh, you know I had to take. Okay, I, I don't know whether to go to Montreal or go back to Ottawa. I'm going to go back to Ottawa because you talked about budgets and whatnot, and you went through bankruptcies and it seemed like there was always a story that you had to deal with i can always remember you being asked if you got paid and whether or not there was any money in your bank account that day um how did you manage a team as successful as you did with all the stuff that's going on with rod bryden doing a press conference after a press conference of trying to raise money that didn't show up well i don't know if you'll remember but the one the one thing when i was in ottawa i talked a lot about the process yeah but <laughs> oh, with yeah. the player <laughs> We still talk about that today. Yeah. But with the players, you know, probably the the message that I that I brought on a daily basis was, you know, you gotta learn to uh, worry about the things that are within your control. Don't worry about things that you can't control and and ownership you can't control, it doesn't affect us. So basically, you know, like I think, you know, sure it's a lot of publicity and there's a lot of things, but the bottom line, we're paid to do a job. We're paid to play. And let's 
played to the best of her ability. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's the philosophy I had. You know, why should I worry about things that I have no control? It's the same thing people think, uh, you know, like you, you worry about getting fired. I never worried about getting fired because I felt that I work hard. I do my job. And when they're, they're not happy, when they feel that uh, they don't want me, they'll just tell me. Why should I worry about something I have no control over? And, and I think because of that approach, it takes some pressure off you. You know, you don't consider that as, uh, you know, as pressure. You're always so stoic and in control. Do you ever let loose? Does Jacques Martin let his hair down? Oh, yeah, I let loose. But, you know, like, it, it, I guess the approach I have is I, I really feel, and, and I think that that's the one thing that people probably don't know about me. Um, I think I was very hard on players at times, you know, and, and when I go back at some of the things that I've done with, with players in meetings, I mean, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that again. I mean, like, uh, uh, but I've always kept it inside. I've never, I've never talked to the media about it. And, and I, I've, not, I've always felt too, that I've never been, I've never attacked a player like on a personal note. I think it's, you know, I've always tried to be very respectful. Uh, there might be a, a couple of incidents in Montreal where, you know, I can maybe gone overboard, but, uh, it wasn't intention. Like it just kind of happened. And, but uh, you know, I, I think I've always felt that I, I always wanted to respect my players because I, I feel that, you know, I, I feel privileged that I had an opportunity to coach them and uh, I was just, you know, trying to make them better. So, uh, you know, whether it was through video or, you know, sometimes through meetings or so on, but uh, I think my intentions were good. Uh, I know on the bench or in, uh, press conference. I, I know I'm not very emotional, but you know, that's, that's who you are. This might be the oh, first time something. I've ever heard you laugh. I was going to say, he's doing something right if he's managed to stick around for 35 years. And it's the same thing with, I had Rick Bonus finally in, in Dallas. I was injured most of the time, but another great example of a, a coach I'm going in to meet and I know that he's been around forever and I finally get to meet him. And he's just such a personable guy that has known his role with every team that he's ever coached. And I think that's part of why he's had so much longevity, a lot like yourself, Jacques, where you just know how to manage every person individually. And sometimes Bones would get emotional, but he always knew to rein himself back in eventually at some point. So I can appreciate where you're coming from. And I think there's something to be said, being able to be in the league for that long, that's that's an eternity. Yeah. Well, like Brent, I think like, you know, a great example, I, I got. I got to tell you, you you remember Martin Avlak, yeah. You know, I think uh, you know, like it wasn't always rosy with Mar- with Marty. You know, like Marty was a very skillful player, but he was very uh, uh, stubborn, yeah. if I if yeah. I want to say. And you know, <laughs> he was very cocky when he first started. So you know, a lot of time, you know, I had to kind of. I was really hard on on Marty Avlak, but you know, remember uh, three years ago when you guys had the. Uh, uh, the outdoor games against the Canadians. Yeah, I think the alumni played the day before uh, yep. Down on, Parliament, on Hill. Parliament Hill. So I think it was the day before he was traveling. I get a call. It was about noon in my office. I'm sitting in my office. I get a call, Marty Avlat, and <laughs> just just to thank me, he said, "I know we weren't always on the same wavelength. We had some some tough discussion, but uh, just thank me for how I handled him." And he, he felt that it, it really helped his career. So those are things that, you know, sometimes makes you feel good as a coach. And, you know, you, it's like raising your children. Like sometimes, you know, you, you, sometimes you gotta be hard 
and uh, you do it because it's going to be the best for best for them. Uh, two things. If you could talk to Marty and get, we've tried to get him on the show. So just let me know if you send him a message and tell him to come on. The other thing is Marty um, led to one of the biggest, well, he led to the biggest brawl in NHL history. I'll call it is the Philadelphia game in March. Oh, four. Um, we've had Ken Hitchcock on the show earlier. He discussed his side of things. Um, what did you remember about that night in Philadelphia? Well, I don't know. Was it Marty that started? I thought it was Rob Ray. No, Marty was the one the game before where Ken Hitchcock said he's going to eat his lunch someday um, because he's, I think he caused the kicking incident and he caused some other incident. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. But then when in Philly and at the end of the, near the end of the game, yeah. I think it was Rob that kind of got the thing going and, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I admire like our, our players. I, I think the courage they had and how they stick together. I, I, I mean, like we weren't, uh, we weren't a physical team, but we were a close team. We, you know, we believed and, you know, we helped each other out. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that because after that game, I didn't know. I found out after, I guess, Bobby Clark had came down to by our, our, uh, our dressing room, I guess, wanted to, wanted to see me. <laughs> so I guess he wasn't too happy with it. <laughs> our good friend, Steve Keogh stopped him in the hallway and he said i want your coach yeah yeah so that's one of the best parts the other part is do you remember the post-game scrum i wasn't there but michael whalen is in the scrum with i think it's tim panaccio and they start pushing each other in front of you and, and someone told me that it almost looked like they were going to go to blows and you're just kind of watching this all unfold <laughs> i don't remember that I, it's, uh, <laughs> too many incidents i'm losing so some good. memories yeah. uh the the other one is the Battle of Ontario uh, always seemed to have something happened back in the day. And, and I guess the classic is Travis Green and Darcy Tucker nearly in your bench or in it at one point. Um, did you enjoy those games as much as it seemed the players did when I can see you and Pat Quinn yelling at each other occasionally? Yeah, I, I did enjoy those games. And like I said, I, I, I would hope that would I had the experience that I've got now. Uh, when we when we played those games but it was great you know and and it's funny as much as uh, you know we we uh, we yell at each other with Pat Quinn um, I had the opportunity to work with him at the, at the Olympics and you know we develop a great great relationship and great respect for each other so um, you know it, it was a it was a battle I mean like they were built they were a team that were built like more for the playoff, you know, like you look at the Gary Roberts, the Shane Corson, the Tucker and all those guys, we were more skilled. And and, and part of it sometimes is just to, to be patient and, and be able to get through it. And, uh, you know, I remember the, I think it might've been the last, the last time we, we, we lost to them. Eddie Belfort was outstanding, you know, like, I mean, uh, so it's a little bit like, like, you know, like Tampa, they, they were knocked down about four, four times before they were able to get to win the cup. And, uh, so I think we learn, we learn from those experiences, but in the end, you know, I, like the last year I got fired, Mary Nasa got traded and, uh, you know, I, I didn't understand that one. Like, you know, like I think Asa was such an, uh, a premier player, you know, so sometimes uh, you overreact to those situations. Did you know that you were going to be fired at the end of that losing to the Leafs in, in 04? No, I didn't know because I, I didn't worry about that. And uh, uh, thanks to to John Muckler at the time, you know, he didn't. He wasted no time. I think it might have been the day after mm. or two days after that. Uh, you know, he let me know. So I appreciate that. And hey, 
I appreciate, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I was in Ottawa for eight and a half years. You know, we had some, 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 some great years and, uh, it was, a, it was a great experience and, uh, I'm very appreciative. And, you know, like in all the, the place that I've coached, I, I think it's probably the place that, you know, meant the most to me. I mean, it's my hometown. Um, you know, so I, I have some great memories there and, uh, I think, uh, hope that uh, the team brings the Stanley Cup to the city. And, you know, having had the chance to win two cup in Pittsburgh, I, I could I could tell, you know, uh, how hard it, I know how hard it is to, to get a to win a cup because it took me a lot of years to, to be able to win one. But the satisfaction of winning it uh, is just an unbelievable feeling. Do you see this team in Ottawa kind of like the team that you started and built uh, in Ottawa back in the day and that they're starting to make that turn and, and heading towards being a contender? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, they're a team that uh, has got great talent, great young guys. Uh, it seems that they got some, some good leadership with some of their young players. Uh, you know, and, and as, as I said, I think they just got to keep growing. Uh, maybe probably at some point in time, they probably got a, inject some 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 veterans when they get maybe closer but uh i think definitely that's a team that uh, eventually could win a cup I, I you don't have to answer this but i'm going to ask it um uh, one of the things that ended up you being released in in new york was tom wilson incident and when if you look back at it now is it still something that bothers you guys uh that you went through on that side of things where if you're in washington you have no issues with the tom wilson incident i'm just curious of what your thoughts are yeah, well, New York situation is, uh, you know, like a, a little different when you look like, you know, the president, the general managers, the whole coaching staff, a whole bunch of people that got let go. So I think, uh, you know, whether it was the Tom Wilson incident or not, like, uh, you know, the it's it's uh, it's unfortunate what happens. But, you know, like I think with the Tom Wilson, you, you need to have you need to have the guns to answer that one. Otherwise, you know, you just you just try to stand up for each other so um you know it, it, it's hard to say like i mean you, you don't control that uh you know you you love to have a tom wilson on your team but uh, if you don't then uh, you know you have to have a different take a different approach mm -hmm. it's certainly an interesting time um what's next for jacques martin well i think uh probably this year I, i'm going to do a little bit of tv tva do some uh, game analysis uh, with them um, then kind of step back. I, I think, like I mentioned to you, I, I had the one knee surgery now, uh, probably going to have the next one, uh, mid January. So this year is really is to try to, Oof. you know, get my body back, uh, working hundred percent and, uh, hopefully get back. Uh, I think I, I'd like to go back and, uh, work with an organization, uh, maybe as an advisory role. I, I feel that, uh, I have a knowledge, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience that I, that I could help, whether it's on the coaching side, management side, um, I think that's that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to to work full time again. I think uh, I've earned some some time to to relax and enjoy life and smile. And uh, but uh, but I'd like to I'd like to join an organization again because I, I think it's great to be part of an organization and have an opportunity to contribute and you know uh, give some advice and uh, you know play that role. Uh, do you talk to Ken Hitchcock a lot? I mean, he's done that for the last couple of years, or I guess the last two years now of, of being the advisor. Yeah, I've talked to Ken uh, at times, and uh, I know he was with the Oilers. That's what he was doing. Now he's moved on with uh, 
uh, with the blues. So it, it's something that I think uh, through this year I'll pursue like uh, with some conversation with some different general managers that I know and, and feel that, you know, there would be a, a fit there. So, uh, but I, I think this year I basically want to concentrate on uh, getting my, my body back. I have two last questions. One is who's your favorite player or best player, I should say, that you've ever coached in Ottawa? Because I'm going to guess your favorite player might be Alfie, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. But who's the best player you've ever coached? Well, I think it's hard to say best one player. Like, I think, you know, like, you know, when you have Alfie, you've got Marion Asa. You know, I, I, I think those, those two players are, you know, are, are just, uh, you know, an elite level. And, uh, you know, they've shown all through their career. Uh, not only as, as players, but also as people. I, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, they're, they're outstanding. Uh, you know, Mike Fisher was a, a tremendous person, you know, like I think that, uh, and a tremendous player. So that, you know, I think the, the, those players, um, there's a lot of things like, I, like uh, you know, we talked about uh, sitting Jason Spezza. I remember sitting Randy Cunningworth, who was my captain. I, I don't know if you remember that in the series against New Jersey. So, and how he handled it and how, uh, how he was professional and, uh, and uh, what a super captain, uh, you know, it, it was tremendous. So it just shows that the type of person he was, the type of, and, uh, you know, thinking of the team first. And uh, so I was fortunate. I had a lot of great people in Ottawa. Uh, which player frustrated you more, Alexi Yashin or Radic Bonk? <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> think, uh, I, I, I like Radic Bonk. I mean, like, uh, you know, like probably when you're saying frustrating would have been maybe uh, Vlasov Prospo, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and Vinny Prospo, but I loved him. I loved him as a player. And I was really, when we traded him, I was really disappointed because I felt that he, he was a great player. Like he had so much um, respect for the game and he worked at his game. And, you know, and again, he was stubborn, but like, I, I mean, I love him. And then we traded him, but and and Alexi, you got to understand, Alexi. Alexi was a, you know, was a an artist. He he was a great player. Uh, you know, you can't like. I think during regular season, he was a player that you you, you loved. He just he was a player that didn't understand and had or had trouble adjusting to a playoff series. Like, and when we played Toronto, I mean, they'd be in his face, and you know, he never never overcame that. He you know he. He didn't, you know, he, he, we made that trade and that trade was great. You know, it gave us Spezza and Shara. But yeah. I think, you know, those, uh, like I said earlier, earlier in our conversation, you, you need to understand and recognize what the assets or the strengths of a players are and other aspects you need to try to improve. And you get to a point with your management, you know that certain players aren't the type of players that are going to help you win in the playoffs. So then you got to move them. That reminds me of Alexi. The year he was the Hart finalist, he had 94 points. You guys go into Buffalo and get swept. And I can remember, uh, I think you're coming back for game three or four. I can't remember which way it is, but you said he's got to find a way to get through that. And he never did. Mike Pekka just shadowed him the entire time and couldn't get through it. Yeah, and I feel bad that I wasn't able to, to help him to get through that. I think as a coach, that's that's part of your responsibility. And uh uh, I assume uh, that responsibility, but I think, you know, he's not the only player. Like, I think I've seen that over my career, like certain players are, are great in the playoff and then uh, great in during regular season, but are not playoff performer, you know? Uh, last question. We asked this to everybody. If you're sitting around watching a movie or a hockey game, in your case, you're probably watching tape. 
What's your favorite snack? <laughs> uh, try to get away from snacks. <laughs> diet, diet Pepsi. There you go. There's no, yeah. there's no food. There's no chocolate. There's no chips. Uh, there, there's chips and there's all, all, all that junk food. <laughs> Cheese, probably my biggest. If you want to, really, I should, I should give, yeah, I should give you an honest answer. Uh, my weakest is cheese. I was going to say uh, Saint Albert, Saint Albert yeah, cheese. Was good. You're an hey. Eastern Ontario guy. Saint Albert is the best. So I'm the same. <laughs> exactly. Way. That's good. Yeah. 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 Good, good didn't your Didn't your daughter work there at one point, or still does? She did. Yeah. My yeah. my youngest daughter. Yeah, she did. She not. She no longer works there anymore. That's she, uh She she gave birth to triplets, so she had to <laughs> give, no. give up her job. Yeah. Oh wow. There you so go. are you yeah. babysitting? Uh, unfortunately, I've been working all the time, so I don't get a chance to babysit. But <laughs> I'm three and a half now, so it'll be close. There you go. Wow. Anyway, uh, I listen, I appreciate this because I've never had the chance to sit down and have this conversation with you. And you were always so good to me for nine years in Ottawa. So uh, Jacques, thank you for stopping by. We wish you all the best and hope to see you on a bench or at least around a rink sometime soon. I appreciate it, guys. It was great. I just want to say, Brent, this is my first time that I do this show, I do a show like that. So wow. it's new for me. And just to show, like, you've got to adjust with the times. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate, it. appreciate it. Take care, appreciate sir. Appreciate it very much. Okay. Take care. See you, Coach. Bye-bye. All right, welcome back to the Wally Mathot Show. Uh, joining us now, Craig, as always. And Craig, uh, it's an interesting interview when you get a chance to talk to Jacques because I've never had a chance to sit down for an hour with him. Obviously, I, I think I've interviewed him over a thousand times, basically, mm -hmm. over the course of his career. But uh, I've always, he's quietly a very funny individual. He just prefers that to be off camera and remain that stoic figure on camera. Yeah, that was really cool. Because I mean, listen, I'm I'm I wasn't there when he was there, and Meth Meth yeah. was kind of the same, right? Like we, that was kind of my first time to see him do. I mean, he even admitted it. that was his first time really doing an interview like that. So it was pretty cool to see. Like I maybe I'm guilty of it because I don't have to talk, but I just kind of sat there and listened to that one. So, uh, Meth, what about you? I mean, you didn't you didn't have tons of experience with this guy. What was your thought on the uh, the Jacques Martin interview and getting to getting to talk with him? Like I, I, I say this every time we interview a coach, particularly someone with so much NHL experience, I'm almost kind of intimidated. It's crazy. Yeah. And I, and, and, and you guys both mentioned it where you have a stoic figure, uh, NHL coach that even from my vantage point, when I played and you'd see him on the bench, never a screamer or anything, always had this very intriguing look on his face where he was very focused. And so, like I said, I, you almost kind of go into a shell until I start hearing him open up and I'm thinking, man, he's got a great personality. Like he's, yeah. you know, he's well-spoken, well he's interesting. He had great stories. So uh, it was very refreshing, but being from Ottawa, like you, Craig, or like you mentioned, like being from Ottawa, growing up, watching him, I just, I found it so neat to be able to interview him. And, and, and it, it was not what I expected. I, I had the expectation that he would be very short in his answers and very, very serious. And mm -hmm. it was the complete opposite. And then he, 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 he won me over at the end when he mentioned cheese curds from St. Ibai, <laughs> East Ontario. I, right away, you could do like, it like, it like my eyes lit up and, yeah. and uh, I was, I was super excited, but no, it was, it was a fun interview and uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. And it's funny, like how, how much better is this for, for like, for a lot of people out there in the hockey community that you don't really know a lot about when they come on and do these shows, it almost mm -hmm. just adds 
um, you know, a, a level of respect towards them. It makes them more likable, right? Like, a, You're more like now that I've interviewed them, I view them in, in a much different light yep. than I did prior. And it just only does these people favors, I, I find at least. It's, it's funny. So one of the things, him opening up, talking about he wished he would have done things differently in Ottawa to help win a Stanley Cup. And I, I, yeah. I really appreciate just the mm -hmm. honesty and the rawness of that because when we would interview Jacques, it would always be, you got next to nothing. So it would be, yeah. And we still say no doubt to this day. And everybody knows exactly who we're referring to when we use that term. Um, I can remember a couple of times. Uh, it's one of the battles of Ontario. Lance Brown from CTV Toronto is in town. I, I'm pretty sure Curtis Joseph's net. And uh, Curtis got run, I think, in one of the, or no, sorry, Pat Lalim got run in one of the games. And so now there's all this talk about running the goaltender. Yep. And so we're in one of the Coliseum rooms. So it's full of media. It's probably like 50 people at the time. Cause back then there was all kinds of media. And so Lance is at the back of the room and he's a very confrontational guy when he asks questions and Jacques is very stoic. So it goes like this, Jacques, do you plan to run the goalie? And Jacques's like, uh, you don't control that. And so he's, and uh, he goes, you didn't answer my question. Are you planning on running the goaltender? And he's like, no, I think I answered your question. He's like, Jacques, that is not the answer. And so now it's really, so all of a sudden, Phil Lego, now who's the PR guy, steps in and goes, yeah. he's already answered your question. He goes, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Jacques. We're like, oh my <laughs> Lord, what is so Jacques? But Jacques never, nothing ever changes. He's the same guy. He's like, we're moving on to the next one. Then the last one I can always remember with Jacques was, uh, it was one of the bankruptcy or one of the bankruptcies. It's the bankruptcy, but it's one of the times when the players aren't getting paid. Hmm. And we can't get really any answers. Of course, who's going to say, oh, no, I didn't get my paycheck today. So Ken of Rare, who was at the new RO or a channel at the time, is in the little media room. And, and Jacques, uh, Jacques and Ken's been known to ask some some out of their questions. Uh, Jacques, did you get paid today? And Jacques, whenever there was anything controversial, he would just deflect. Ah, I, I don't I don't control that. Well, Jacques, when you went to your bank account, was there more money in it or not? He's like, you don't control that. I'm so, and then Philly oh goes stepped in again. He's like, we're done here. We're not answering any more of these questions. So that was Jacques, who never really wanted to answer the question, but always had some kind of energy. Like it was still entertaining, regardless if he said nothing. Anyway, awesome. that was my Jacques awesome. Martin stuff. Awesome. This is off. This is off topic. We'll bring it back to Jacques in a second here. Brent, what was it like covering the team back pre-social media days? Like if somebody did something oh. like that, how do you even tell people? Oh, that's great. Uh, because we only had a set sports center time. So you either did yeah. sports center at six or sports center late. So if you like, really, if you didn't get it onto those shows, you didn't get it. So sometimes you'd get called later at night and have to do a phoner or you'd have to go to, to a rink or something and shoot a stand up and do it on camera. But that was, that's it. Like if it's not, if mm -hmm. you don't beat the paper out the night before, then the papers got it the next day and then you're chasing it later in the day. That's all that it sounds, was. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> but those days, like they were because uh, yeah. for us, we could, I, I didn't leave the rink. I got there at nine in the morning and didn't leave until post game afterwards because of technical, like we would have to feed from the rink. And so we'd have to send our stuff in the middle of the afternoon. You'd have to book a satellite window. Now you just do it whenever and send it all. It's so much easier. But back in the day, I would go to mm. Marshy's and just sit at Marshy's for an hour or two. And at one point I was rolling the napkins with the utensils for them. <laughs> Other times I helped change rink board ads and I'd pick up pucks after practice. Like you just couldn't go anywhere. I, so I actually enjoyed that time. Cause back in that day, yeah. it was much more relaxed. You weren't oh, worried yeah, yeah. about it wasn't a race. Phones. 
and no. And so you didn't want to get beat, but you only had no. certain times to get it. So, but you each had your own platform, right? Like yeah. you could go, yeah. you'd go over the broadcast, the writing guys would write for the paper or whatever. Yeah. Whereas now it's, everybody's just competing. I was just curious about that when you mentioned yeah. kind of the old, the old media things. Cause I was, I always hear stories about fights and people oh. pushing for spots and things, but now in today's day, like I, you'd see video of that probably. Right. And, so uh, you, maybe you guys are like, for up. sure. Louis Jean in Montreal. And that's the one uh, I've always heard about. <laughs> Rob Martyr was at, I think, CJAD in Montreal. I'm pretty sure that's the radio station. Anyway, um, I'm in the locker room that day. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm working for Global in Montreal that time. Anyway, all of a sudden, over off to the left, because I'm talking to Mark Recchi, by the way, and I'm doing my own camera work. And so I'm asking a question and I peek my head out from behind the camera to get him to answer it. And he's like, this is so bizarre, Brent. So anyway, we're having a chat. All of a sudden... Saku Koivu is now standing on the locker stalls because Rob Martyr and Lou has Louis Jean by the tie and he's yeah. tr basically trying to strangle him. And so everybody in the room just stops and all the players are there like, Oh, what's going to happen? It, it got it a hand obviously. And, and nowadays you would have that video everywhere, but at, back in the yeah. day, there is no video, but like there are times when it gets a little feisty, especially back in the day when there's so much more media and the crush of media. You just mm -hmm. get really people that get annoying. And so you want to move them out of the way. Matt, did you ever have that? Do you ever have guys shoving or pushing or whatever? One of your scrums were they or were the, were the Mark Mathot scrums big enough to, sometimes it's no. just like those Hamburglar ones got a little feisty sometimes. Cause there was like yeah. 30 no, was people more, at them, but no, no, no. It was more just, you know, they're, they're, they would kind of infringe on maybe the, your, mm -hmm. your stall mate, like the next guy. Over, I always felt right? bad about that. Yeah. yeah okay. It's, it's all, you know, what's different now though, is because back in that time, uh, you basically had one shot to get these answers. Now you can kind of go back to players. Like I would actually stop and I'd wait for Boro, to, Mark Borowiecki to be done talking or someone else. And I'd come in afterwards and ask my question. But back in the day, you had to either get it or it was gone. And so the jostling for seven, eight, nine cameras and, the, and then the writers and then the reporters, uh, mm. it, it did get a bit hectic, especially in playoffs where tensions are higher. And you can feel yeah. the, you can feel it if you're covering a Montreal or a Toronto series with Ottawa, because the media started to really take it personal. And yeah. so they would be like, well, this is my team and I need to be in here. And this, and I'm like, okay, I, I guess do what you got to do. So eventually we would bring in two cameras. We'd bring in Mark masters or whoever to cover the Leafs. And we do the sends because that way you get a little bit, you'd be in each scrum. You wouldn't have to chase back and forth. But in the old days, you have to run back and forth to each locker room. Hmm. I love talking about that stuff just because I got to see, I got to see some of the newer stuff. So I love hearing yeah. stories uh, just to circle it back to, to Jacques here. Matt, I had something for you. Uh, you were, before we started it, you were really psyched to ask him about the 2017 playoffs. Were you disappointed that he just knew that they were the better team? And that like, that was his answer is like, we were just better than you guys. We just had I to was, wait for you guys to start. I was, well, so I, I was, yeah, I was a little disappointed with the answer. Because I, I, he didn't really elaborate. I wanted to no. know, like, what was your, like, what was your effing game plan? Just effing tell me. <laughs> But it was like, well, you know, and it, it kind of like just deflected off that a little bit where I wanted more detail, yeah. but I'm not going to yell at a Hall of Fame coach no. for not answering my question properly. So I just kept my uh, mouth shut. But it was, uh, it, it, it's fun. Like, it's fantastic. I'm a huge fan of his. But I wanted yeah. to know. Right. And he still didn't really answer the question, but it's all his answer was just we were better than you. We were the better team. We were more skilled. You yeah, guys, we were. Was, you know, we we had to be patient and all that. I'm like, yeah. no, no, like, like, no, X's what did you do? 
give yeah. me an X's and O's. Like, were there certain players you were focused on? Were you focused, yeah. you know, like, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to insult him. So I just let it slide. <laughs> no, I thought that was funny. Just largely because before you're like, I'm going to ask him about this. And I'm, we're all like, yeah, yeah. ask him about 2017. <laughs> and he's just like, we were better. <laughs> it's like, fuck. I, I had like maybe three questions and that was the big one. And it was, yeah. <laughs> anyways, that, that one made me laugh at the fly. He kind of answered it, but just, it wasn't really what I think you were hoping for. But it, was anyways, a, it was a fluffy answer. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, uh, boys, boys, there's some congrats to go around. I saw a photo floating around social media yesterday. Uh, some good work from our golf tournament. Uh, oh yes. You guys want to yes. elaborate on that? That was good stuff. I love seeing that. Uh, we got Wally, very fortunate. Well, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, I remember when, Meth and I started talking right when I started talking about like, and, and Craig doing this podcast, we were thinking like, what can we do as a charity? I, I would like to give back. And then well, I think it was Meth or I just spew, spewed out. Let's do a golf tournament. If yeah. I'd known now, you. if I knew then what I know now, no chance would I have done a golf tournament. It's like, I shouldn't say that it's exhausting. And I yeah. didn't know what I didn't know, but, um, it was extremely well run by faces and they, they did a really good job of putting it all together. And, and the fact I've never been able to write a check for $10,000 to give to somebody, yeah. it, it yeah. felt really good just to be able to donate this money to a mental health and for obviously youth mental health. Um, and, and this doesn't happen without this show and how it's come together. And so all of us deserve a little pat on the back and, and I, you know, okay. So we, I helped maybe start the golf tournament, but it doesn't happen without you two. So that's a, no, awesome. no. Yeah, but the, yeah, that was a lot of legwork by you there. I know you on our end, right? Like Meth and I, we 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 get a bunch of other shows. Like you, that was kind of your thing. I mean, we helped support you when you needed it, obviously. Yeah. But uh, yeah. that was definitely your thing. So, man, you you should take a good lion's share yeah. of that credit. Thank yeah, you. Uh, great job, Wally, and, and a big shout out too to Justin McKinnon from mm -hmm. Faces. He, yeah. I mean, not only did did he help spearhead the event with Wally, but I mean, even with at the the auction, I feel like he bought most of the stuff. So. Um, <laughs> No, he was, he was instrumental there as well. So we want to thank him and Faces Magazine for sure. Yeah. And Evan, uh, Evan at Faces, because she's going to be mad. And Evan, of course, of course. Didn't say thank yeah. You to uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, let's uh, try and do that again next year. It was a fantastic event. Uh, we got very lucky with the weather and all the COVID stuff that allowed us to have a full course, uh, a compliment of golfers. So yeah, was uh, great. we've, we've started to talk about doing it again next year. So it'll be even better. Nice. Awesome. Well, some, something we do uh, every week is we do a little trivia so we're gonna we're gonna pop into that and wrap things up today uh gong show we're going back to our gong show friends they're hooking us up with a wally and Mathot hoodie they're great oh, i should have worn one today uh they're great uh super comfy logo on the front rep the brand come on boys help us out uh we're gonna give one away today uh if you kind of listen to our jacques martin interview uh you heard that he was maybe fired a long time ago so our question goes back to that how many head coaches have the ottawa senators had since jacques martin so if you know the answer to that one, head on over to Twitter, use the hashtag Wally Mathot. Be sure to tag at Gong Show Gear on Twitter. Send us your answer. And if you get it right, you put into a little draw and we're going to pull a name. And that person we're going to reach out to via DMs to figure out how to get you one of these very sweet Wally Mathot Gong Show hoodies. They are comfy. I will give you that. Pretty good. Yeah, man. All right. Coming up Monday, uh, we're going to do a live show. It's Thanksgiving Monday. So everybody should be home sitting around probably tired with their tryptophan in their system so uh matthew you know what tryptophan is yeah but it's all bullshit <laughs> why did i do this it's been uh, it's been completely debunked and it's just overeating on thanksgiving that's what that is so all right i should have known so anyway uh we're gonna take questions from you guys we're gonna have a ask away kind of day so 
uh, we're yeah. gonna prepare some stuff, but yeah, we're gonna uh, we want to get the fan engagement, so we're gonna talk on Monday. Yeah, can't wait. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Have a good weekend, eh, boys? You Enjoy your Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy. Yeah, all man, right. Have fun. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 